Hello and welcome. I'm Simon. I am Haney. And I'm Alexander. We are Needy in Tech, covering the latest from the IT industry with a specific focus on Microsoft and how to get actual value from technology. This is episode 254, recorded on January the 29th, 2024. You will be able to find this in our previous episodes on needypintech.com, iTunes, Spotify, and on all podcasting platforms. We are not alone. We have a guest. Would you like to introduce him, Alexander? So many, many years ago, I was roaming the halls in Seattle at Pass Summit, and I came across this ancient creature no i i found <laughs> ancient I, in my mid-30s alex i know i know i so i I, uh, I came across eugene meidegger and eugene was one of the if not the first guest that we had on native in tech so it is so much fun to welcome eugene back because that was 2019 so it's been a while and uh, things have happened so Tell us, who are you and what what do you do, man? Yeah, this is like office space. Like, what do you do around here? <laughs> um, so I do a mix of Power BI consulting and making training videos. Uh, primarily, it's been for Pluralsight, but um, I finally started to sell, start selling my own training content. And so that's going to be, if you're listening to this live, uh, then the launch has happened. So it should be interesting. Indeed. So working as an independent contractor, you said, how you haven't always done that. You started working just like everybody else. Um, for the most part, I think most people have had regular jobs at some point earlier on in their career. I uh, went to college, worked at Bayer Material Science for a year and got fired. Um, worked at a different place and for about five years. Um, started out, I, I could spell SQL. So I was there like report monkey and DBA. And the first week of the job, I was Googling what a SQL view was, what a stored procedure was. And mind you, I became their DBA. And then I eventually became a consultant. And did that for about five years. And I wasn't happy because I was maybe... 10 to 20% billable. So mm-hmm. I was supposed to be a profit center. That's how like all the career stuff was, but I was really a cost center and I was supporting like classic ASP and all these legacy applications. And we had a level one help desk, but people knew me. So they would email me directly instead and be like, Hey, this report isn't working or, Oh, my printer's not working. And it was just kind of awful. So, um, after a while, I decided to quit. I started making Pluralsight courses, and the first one was bringing what I would call Xbox money. Like, you can buy an Xbox. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. And the second one did a magnitude of order better than that. And so I quit my job, even though I didn't have necessarily much in the way of runway or, or any mm-hmm. of that kind of stuff. And that was about five years ago. So that was around the time that we met in seattle Mm -hmm. it would have been i think a little bit before so i quit my job like 2018 maybe i think 2018 i think the so i think it's probably a year before we met in seattle Mm. and how has this worked out for you i'm i'm guessing that it's not all that it's it's jacked up to be you quit your job and instantly you're faced with these problems of, of figuring out where to put all the money. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, so you have to kind of choose. Do you want something liquid or do you want to get a good return? So I, I mm-hmm. recommend a money market account if you need to be able to extract that. No, um, yeah, I would say, like, it's somewhat embarrassing to say this, um, but my compared to my previous job, I got a raise, but I was underpaid. Compared to what I'm mm. worth, I'm below market currently, and my revenue has been fairly flat, right? What's changed is that it's gotten a lot more stable, and mm. I have a lot more flexibility and control in my life, mm. right? So um, when I quit my job, I was making somewhere between sixty-five dollars and $70,000 a year, um, and I was getting benefits and everything. Now, in America, uh, we don't mm. get health insurance just included. And so it's a big deal if we can get it. And I'm, I'm a yeah. diabetic. Yeah. So it's very important that I get it, right? So mm. you have some some benefits rolled into the to the job. But mm. I was very much underpaid at the time. Like if I just got another job, at that point, I could have gotten eighty dollars or $100,000 a year. Mm. Um, but the first year was was pretty awful. It was doing odd jobs just to pay the bills because, mm. um, you know, like I said, the stuff coming in from Pluralsight was nice, but it was not covering our living expenses. And so I remember doing Xamarin development for my previous employer at $80 an hour. Mind you, wow. I, that's not, that's not my, <laughs> but they, they had an app they needed maintained and I knew the details, right? But that's not what I am. Yeah. That's not what I do. Um, and, uh, you know, I started to get my footing under me. And then as you can imagine, the pandemic, like, inverted everything because Hmm. all of my consulting just fell off a cliff but everyone was at home watching videos Hmm. and Mm -hmm. so um i think from the beginning of 2020 to april the royalties i was getting went up 50 percent, basically and so i went from being below having it pay for everything to i have not had to worry about my mortgage ever since right so there's there's not been a point where I had to worry, are we gonna be able to pay the bills today? Mm. So I've been I've been very fortunate that way. But you know, it's yeah, not all sunshine and roses. And I've blogged every year to cover that because I think people should know that like sometimes mm. it's really hard. And and uh I'm still trying to remember how I got into Pluralsight from the beginning, but I do think it has something to do with Michael Bender, and then I tricked Alexander into it. Um, but but how did you get into creating courses at all? What yeah. was it that appealed to you? Um, well, so there so there's two different answers to that because <laughs> in terms of what appealed to me, I've mm-hmm. always been interested in teaching. Like I mm-hmm. have a high school yearbook somewhere where like some um some uh other student had wrote like i had a really good way of explaining things right like with analogies mm-hmm. and stuff i thought when i went to college i was going to become a professor but then the real mm-hmm. world happened and i needed to get a job and all that kind of stuff but what convinced me to do it i can tell you is um do any of you know microsoft mvp stephanie bruno she's yep. in the power bi space yep. right mm-hmm. well she uh lives on here in the pittsburgh oh my god my phone thinks i'm dying hold on Sorry, the joys of being a diabetic. My phone lets me know whenever things are going wrong. Um, pardon. Anyway, um, she's out here in the Pittsburgh area, and we've talked about the power. We, helped, we we ran the Power BI user group and all that kind of stuff. 
And back in 2016, she's like, oh, you should submit to pass Summit. And I'm like, no, they're not going to accept me. She's like, you should do it. In 2016, I didn't get accepted. But 2017, I had two presentations and Mm -hmm. still the biggest one I ever did. Talked about execution plans to 333 people. Mm -hmm. Um, But that also inspired me to try something else on the bucket list, which was be a Pluralsight author. And again, I thought, oh, no, you have to be this big, huge expert. And you have to know the technology. But a lot more of it is being able to tell a good story and communicate mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Because some of the best experts in our field are terrible teachers. Because they can't mm-hmm. empathize with the people who don't know how to do the stuff. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. What What so is I, it that you Stephanie. personally... Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. What, what is it that you... Because I also like to training portions. So what do you personally get from training? Yeah. What is it that like keeps you doing that? I I love it. Um, so I think one of the things that I get out of it is I really enjoy the like puzzle or challenge. Like this is the the mental equivalent of a Rubik's Cube for me. Because it's how do we take this concept that is just difficult to get your arms around and find a way to explain it. And every time I can come up with some dumb analogy to explain something, I get like a dopamine hit, right? Like um, when I did a course on Azure Event Hubs, didn't know anything about Event Hubs. Um, and there, I use the analogy of this sushi restaurant that used to be in Seattle and closed down called Blue Sea Sushi, where the sushi is on a conveyor belt and it goes around and eventually the food expires because it's sushi. And mm-hmm. the event subscribers are like the customers just taking stuff off the conveyor belt, you know, whenever they need it, whenever mm-hmm. they want it, right? So I I really enjoy the the puzzle of it. And I, I just love, mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I love teaching in general. So it it is my ideal job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you, there were two reasons. Understand that? Yeah. Oh, the... Yeah. Sorry, the, oh. we'll get an order. Stack order. All right, so top of the stack. The The two reasons I was saying is just, one, I've always been interested in teaching. And the other is that it was the bucket list kind of thing. And Stephanie yeah, okay. kind yeah. of convinced me to reach for my dreams. So, Yeah. You're saying something, Heine? Not sure what anymore. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> sorry about that. Gone. Stack overflow. No problem. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah. But but I do think like we we all have very different backgrounds when it comes to how we got into teaching, how we have done it, what what we have done, and so on. Um, and and I do think that we all get into that whatever we decide to do. It doesn't matter if we intend to or not. Uh, and I think that that is something that if just it, it's it, it's not for everyone. Like you said, a lot of right. really intelligent and good and kind people are not the best teachers. It, it has never mm. been about who knows the most. It's been about the way you explain it. Um, and I did a course, a like short internal course last week uh, with, with a small group. And the feedback I received were amazing. And it really warmed my heart to, to listen to things like the way he explained it were a way I never had listened to before. Uh, one feedback point where it was like Jesus reading the Bible. Uh, which uh, I'm I'm not really certain how I, I have questions. <laughs> I would yeah. think reading I would I would think reading your own biography would seem a bit pompous and boring personally. 
Well, I ha- I have a OneNote page with quotes of myself. <laughs> <laughs> so I have no problem at all with that. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. If it, if it wasn't true, it would be even more fun, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, but you, you now you're creating content of your own instead. What happened right. and what is the pros and cons of that? Yeah. So the... I won't I won't get into it too much, but the short version is um Pluralsight about two or three years ago was acquired by private equity. And if you search uh in the news, especially local to like Utah, they had a lot of layoffs a year ago. I think mm-hmm. over four hundred employees. And there was some restructuring with how payments work for authors and mm-hmm. I just kind of realized that I couldn't do this full time. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I've always straddled the line with consulting and training and i always hoped that they would both inform each other but what Mm -hmm. i really wanted to be able to do was make content full-time and Mm -hmm. i thought if i just keep making enough courses every year i could get there with pluralsight and i just realized that that wasn't going to be a thing um and so i i panicked uh all of december i basically reached out to everyone i knew who either sold stuff or was doing this kind of stuff so I talked to Brent, I talked to Melissa Coates, I talked to Eric Darling, just being like, hey, can you give me some advice? And I decided that I was going to try and sell my own stuff on Teachable. Teachable is basically, it's a self-host platform. You pay like $160 a month and um, you can host your own courses and do all this stuff. And the downside is you have to do all the sales, all the marketing, Mm. everything. Um, And that's been challenging i thought Mm -hmm. that i could still do the like oh i'll do some consulting and i'll get this going and that was a failure just a total and utter failure Mm -hmm. um because there's so many moving parts you have to get set up and with pluralsight i could treat them like a a customer like a Mm vendor like i'm a vendor it's like all right here's a scope of work i'm going to deliver on that Mm -hmm. when i'm making my own stuff i have to figure out the curriculum i have to figure out is it the right market i have to get all the branding together, all this kind of stuff. And so I kind of realized last summer that I was spread too thin and burnt out. And so since then, I've been trying to put a pause on all the consulting work. And some of Mm -hmm. it's, I still have one project that's been going on for over a year and I just need to get the documentation done to get it over the finish line, right? And it's just, it's taken a while. Um, And it's been scary too because you know, that I'm also taking a financial hit, right? Like mm-hmm. I've got mm-hmm. money in the bank. Thankfully, I did a lot of consulting last year and, and made some reserves. But every month I don't hit publish on my course is every month that I'm losing money, mm. right? So there's been a lot of lessons learned. If I if I knew everything I knew now, I would basically, at the, when I first found out this was happening, I would have put a pause on the consulting, pushed out any distractions that I could, and I would have tried to get this going. Um, mm. But you know, now it's actually happening, and I am I'm nervous as heck, but I'm I'm very excited. Which brings us to Power BI. So th- there was a time when you could actually be a, a Power BI expert. You 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 could know. You could know all of it because it was it was a minimum viable product that they were trying to agile sprint their way to something someone would buy, right? <laughs> like, with no offense to the product team, but the way I describe it is six or seven years ago, Satya Nadella said, 
We need more money. And Tableau <laughs> is making money. So what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to put it in the cloud because that's where we make all our money now. We'll make it a subscription. And we're just going to put out an MVP and two-week agile sprint our way until we make something people want to buy. And they made it years without a print button or export to Excel. It was amazing. But you know now they've got something that feels really, really polished. And so those first few years, you could be the, the girl or the guy who knows all of Power BI, for sure. This kind of brings us to what I was thinking of having the next piece of conversation. That is fabric yeah. when it comes to minimally viable product. But <laughs> let's hold on for that sure. just a sec. Sure, fair. So now that we've established that the Power BI is a very, very wide area of expertise, Extremely. what are your, your, your thoughts on what do you want to specialize on and where do you see a space in the market? Because everyone and their cat is doing visualize stories, oh, yeah. whatever. So, right. So this was something that I had to look into when I was figuring out what to make courses on. First, some of it was already figured out for me because... If you're a Pluralsight author, you sign a course-by-course course NDA, right? Mm. You can't do the exact same subject you did for Pluralsight and do it somewhere else, right? So in some ways, I couldn't do some of that intro stuff because I had done it for them. But like you said, like, Grandma's first Power BI report is everywhere, right? Everyone's trying to do the, like, very shallow, like, let's go wide kind of thing. And it's just, it's hyper-saturated. Um, and so part of what I looked at was the Google Analytics for my blog and the the top three blog posts, two of them are obscure DAX error messages, um, which get thousands of views every, every week. Uh, but I don't think I can make money on that. And then the third one was uh, a blog post I have on Power BI performance tuning. And this was something I wrote in like 2017, 2019. But I remember when I wrote it, I was frustrated because there wasn't something that kind of gives you the whole lay of the land. Like you'll have people like the Italians, Marco Russo and Alberto Ferrari, who go very deep on DAX. But Power BI is not one tool. It's three Excel add-ins that they smooshed together and put in a trench coat and said, oh, this is a new product, right? And to be able to be an expert in that and performance tune that means you need to understand SQL, DAX, Power Query, and some of the stuff with the visualizations, visualizations, and like most people don't have that breadth of expertise, so it, it seems like an area worth putting the time into. Mm -hmm. For sure. So back when I got started, I I, I started with with uh, SQL stuff, but I couldn't really find my feet at one of the consulting firms that I started with because they they didn't have any data experience. So I kind of uh, moonlighted as a storage guy and a server guy and that got me so much insight into how does storage work and how does networking right. work and it turned out that i could use that to mm. scare my databases to go faster and as you said people don't have that uh, width of, of experience even talking to and, and this is not me uh, making fun of simon at all <laughs> but it's an interesting uh aside yeah. So many times we've had conversations where mm -hmm. stuff that I did when I was a kid, because I started with, with Commodore 64 and stuff, there's right. some things that, that I take for granted and Simon mm -hmm. go, well, how, why is this even a thing? And yeah. 
that's what I see so much. People come in, especially with Power BI, because it's shiny, it's cool, it's very powerful, but you don't really know what's lurking underneath. Mm. And I think it is a fantastic tool for doing the most amazing things up to and including shooting yourself in the foot with a howitzer. So I, I, I really <laughs> yeah. like the idea well, of, of tuning them. Well, the other, the issue, and I, I talk about it in like the first module, which is free on YouTube, ah, um, is the, with Power BI, performance tuning isn't a problem until it suddenly is. And suddenly it's an urgent mm. problem mm -hmm. because um, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if you have the equivalent of this where you live, but you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the Autobahn, right? Um, yeah. So Power BI, most of the time, is like driving on the Autobahn. It is very well optimized. It's very fast. It runs in memory, compresses everything. But occasionally, you'll do things or it'll scale to a point that suddenly you've taken an exit and gone onto a dirt road. Mm. And now it's very bumpy and very slow and very difficult, right? And with SQL Server, at least, or some of these other things, you're paying for provisioning. And so you mm. know up front, oh, performance is important because the slower it is, the more money I'm going to have to pay. But with Power BI, you know, it's the same if you're paying for premium, but in most cases, people are used to $10 per user per month. And it works fast until, again, you've gone onto that dirt road, and now you have a problem. And now your users are frustrated, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very easy to be surprised by these problems. Indeed. And speaking of, of SQL Server in the cloud and also on-prem, when, when we tune something on-prem... It generally made people happier. But at the end of the day, you were still paying the same licensing. Sure. If you tune yeah. something in the cloud, you can instantly see savings. Yeah. But that also brings us to Power BI because you may not have an issue in Power BI at all. You might have the issue two or three steps down the line. And you may or may not have visibility into that. But you're looking at the problem through the straw that is Power BI and well, clearly you have the issue because Power BI is slow, but it turns out that yeah, it's actually it's actually Adam Saxton's fault, which is really <laughs> <good>. <laughs> sure. Makes sense. I I will remember to tag him in the uh, the uh, social media post later on. No, oh, of course, of course. <laughs> that's, how, that's how we roll. But yeah. uh, so that space it's very well defined. Power BI. Uh, performance tuning. But that also means that you are not alone in that space. And how do you sure. how do you see well you mentioned uh, a couple of names. Eric Darling, uh, Brent Ozar, they're they're famous or infamous depending on who you're asking sure. for doing uh, performance tuning and doing um web courses and, and that stuff. Would you see that the market is is coming to a saturated spot or is it a lot of space and should everybody jump in and then start doing performance tuning yeah do i want more competitors let me think about that <laughs> um so i i know for sure i know for sure that uh nicola illich has a course on powered by performance tuning i've actually paid for it i sent him some feedback he was he was very happy about it on, on social media and all that kind of stuff um i'm not familiar about anyone else who's doing like courses or really like start to finish kind of stuff on performance tuning. So I know that um, like uh, the Italians, Marco Russo and Alberto Ferrari have their optimizing DAX stuff. 
Chris Webb has the most niche blog posts you'll ever find. Um, but there's not, there's not a ton there overall. And so I'm not too worried about it becoming a saturated space because I think so much more effort is going into the introductory kind of stuff. Mm. But also you have the thing that Power BI is still, at least in my opinion, on a growth curve, right? It's become widespread, but there's still a lot of new people. And so mm-hmm. I think it's going to be years before that starts decreasing, the, mm-hmm. term, the number of new people. And so I think for the next few years, a lot of that focus is still going to be there on just how do I even get it working or how do I get it working in my organization? So uh, I, I think there's plenty of space if you're, if you're trying to find some competitors for me, but um, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about it because like, it's a pain to learn how to do this. Like I have a video on all the different tools available and there's literally a dozen, right? When you, I have this beautiful chart of like just all the stuff. And so if you, if we're just talking tools, right? So inside Power BI, there's query diagnostics for Power Query. There's uh, the performance analyzer They uh, for the visuals and for DAX. They just added a query view to run DAX uh, queries. And you could use like web dev tools uh, to, you know, check the browser. From Microsoft, there's SQL Server Management Studio, Azure Data Studio, um, Profiler, which is not deprecated for SSAS. I want to be clear. Don't use it for SQL Server relational because I don't want Aaron Stilato coming and beating me up. But <laughs> And then there's like eight or nine different community tools that either help you look at the size of your data model or to see what's slow or all this stuff. Like, I don't see that ever getting easier. <laughs> it's a lot. It definitely doesn't sound that way. And I think that's yeah. like also a good presentation that even in the kind of uh, the same area that might sound like the same area, like performance tuning, there is, even within Power BI, there can be very different angles to it as well from different like people who produce content. So I think that's also often useful if there are those different points of view available. Yeah, for sure. One one thing that I'm I'm curious about, would you say that the the most people need to know the technical ins and out of how to do performance tuning or do they need to figure out the the concept and the process to understand mm. the bits and pieces because they're they're two sides of the same coin so i think that you can go a really long way if there's a few mental concepts that you have right and so some of those basic things are one, the Vertipack engine, the storage engine behind DAX, is a columnar storage engine. If you know what that means and the implications it has for storage and speed, if you understand Parquet or Column Store Index and SQL, you understand these concepts, that's going to save you a lot of trouble. If you understand query folding and Power Query and how to push back the work to the base data source, that's going to save you a lot of trouble. There's if you use star schema for your data model, by default, you'll have good performance, right? So there's a handful of these things that'll help you fall into the pit of success, so to speak, where by default, it works. Past that, the most important thing is just stuff that, you, you know, you talked about like 
backgrounds we take for granted, um, basics of troubleshooting from like programming, right? The analogy, one of the analogies I mentioned is how do you find a wolf in Alaska? So Alaska, if you don't know, is six times as big as the UK, huge state, right? <laughs> and there's probably more than one wolf there. But if you needed to find just the one, you build a fence down the middle, you wait for it to howl, and then you repeat, you make another fence and you keep bisecting the problem, right? That approach applies to Power BI. You isolate, you measure, and you modify. The problem is Power BI does not make that easy at all. When you're dealing with code in a procedural programming language, you can put in breakpoints and debugging steps. Or if you're like me, you just put print line everywhere and then figure it out, right? Well, with DAX, there's no, there's no equivalent, right? And so you have to understand that, okay, I've got this super convoluted multi-step DAX measure. Well, I actually have to break that apart into separate DAX measures. And then a lot of times I'm throwing those intermediate steps into a table and just looking at it and being like, okay, is this small part doing what I think it does? That's not an intuitive process. And the tools built in don't make that easy for people, right? Agreed. Yeah, it sounds quite horrible. I've never had to do that, so <laughs> I'm I'm not no, encouraged to do that either in the future. Sure. <laughs> no, but it, but, it, but that is also it brings with it a very interesting uh, consequence, and that is since it is nigh on impossible to tune a a big and and complex DAX statement, it forces you, as you said, to tear it to to pieces. And it forces you to understand the constituent pieces in ways that you may not need to do in other languages because you might get away with, mm. oh, now it works. Let's not dig any deeper. You can't do that with, with X. Either you understand the whole thing or you understand nothing. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you've ever, if you're familiar with the idea of like code golf, these coding challenges where you try to get an output in as few characters of code as possible. If not... <laughs> Check it out on like Stack Overflow. It's a really cool concept. There's programming languages designed for this. Pearl. The key part is if you've <laughs> messed with that or you've messed with regular expressions, you know there's circumstances where you change a single character and it completely changes the outcome of the logic 100%, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. DAX is like that. It's very information dense. And so you change a comma here or a filter there or whatever, and you can completely invert the result. And so... It's it's difficult to get that all working in your head because it is so information dense. It's so logic dense. Yeah, that is not a word mm. that I've ever used to describe my head. So I, I absolutely see where you're going with that, for sure. And That's because it can't be described like that, Alex. Well, on that bombshell, we are always out of time. We were consistently out of time. But... Uh, Eugene, would it be possible to get a um, some kind of of, of um, discount code for sure. your your stuff? We were talking yeah. about a couple of, of, of alternatives. How about knee deep? Knee deep. Okay, knee yeah. Deep. So knee deep, no space, and you can get my course fifty percent off. Um, we'll say well for launch week. So basically. February 5th to February 11th. I'll probably extend it a little bit for your listeners since I think this is probably coming out on like the 8th. So Correct. as soon as you hear this, go see if the code still works. <laughs> the code needed. That's pretty and awesome. 
that that is really really awesome. Fifty percent is is fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Yep. And on that, we are out of time as we always are. This was it, it feels very much like when we met and talked the first time. The 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 time just disappeared. Sure. It, it is mm-hmm. so quick. So I can't wait to see you physically in in Stockholm. Yes, I'll and, see you there. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're all going to be in Stockholm, yes? I I think so. Yeah. I think I, I uh, <laughs> We're all going to be in Stockholm. We'll yeah. see each other then. Great. <laughs> Until see next week, there. have a wonderful time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Need Even Tech. Need Even Tech is a bi-weekly technology podcast hosted by Alexander Arvidsson, Simon Binder, and Heini Hilmaninen. If you have any feedback questions or would like to be part of an episode please reach out to us on social media or via email at podcast at